Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz guitarist Joshua Breakstone. Born in Elizabeth, New Jersey, raised in New York, he saw Miles Davis at the Village Vanguard when he was a kid. He pays homage to all the great piano players and the legendary lights on his newest 2016 album called 88 with his cello quartet. He got his gears moving in the right direction, studying in Manhattan with South Salvador. He went on to college at the New College of the University of South Florida in Sarasota and the Berklee College of Music. He would go on to play with the likes of Cecil McBee, Billy Hart, Pepper Adams, Kenny Barron, and so many others. He's got great stories and great insights. So dig this interview, my friends. And hey, thanks for taking some time out. No, well, thank you for your interest. I got the uh, I got the CD in the mail. I've been listening to it. It's, it's a great listen. So what I want to do is start off here. I you know websites and Facebook and social media is good about letting everybody know what's going on. But in the musician's own words, I like to know kind of a snapshot of what's going on in your world, other than your latest album. What's going on in your life these days? Boy, I, I just came back from uh, nearly four months in Japan and. Uh, I received a, a, I'm very honored to have received a very special visa in Japan, which is called an artist resident visa, which is a rather rare, uh, a rare visa. Usually, what musicians receive is a musician's visa, which is a very, very restrictive classification for for Japan. They want to know exactly where you're playing. They want to know exactly where you're staying. When you travel, you have to contact. Uh, an agency and let them know where you're going to be. Um, so this artist uh, resident designation was really uh, an honor. And um, I was there playing and uh, teaching. Uh, very, very busy schedule. And uh, it was really a great experience. Most of the time I was in Kyoto, uh, actually for two months. And then one month I was in Kobe. And one month we toured and did one-nighters all over the country. So that was a great experience, and then got back uh, about two weeks ago, and since that time, we've been getting ready for the release of this um, documentary, which has been made by Colorado Public Television, which is a PBS affiliate. So um, they had come to New York last February, and we shot around the New York area, in New York and around New York, for three days in early February. And we shot for two days in Denver in March when I was out there doing a, a concert at a, uh, at a place in Denver called Nocturne. And then they came to Japan at the end of July, and the PBS guys were were with us for six days, and we did uh, we did taping in um, uh, Tokyo at a at a, a famous club in Tokyo called uh, Sometime in the suburb of Kichijoji, Tokyo. And the reason that club is uh, so well known is that in addition to its having been there for probably more than fifty years. There's been a lot of live recordings done there. 
So uh, Anita O'Day is one of the people that did a lot of recording. Johnny Hartman, Barney Kessel. Um, there are many more. And so they, they uh, the, the PBS guys came and uh, we shot uh, at at some time in Kichijoji, and then we moved to Kyoto, and we we did some shooting in um, Kobe as well. So that documentary is scheduled to start airing on PBS stations in uh, Colorado starting the beginning of next month, the beginning of November. And the documentary has been screening here around the New York area. It started last Saturday with the first screening at a at a library that's like very culturally involved has all kinds of arts programming in Mawa, New Jersey. Um, so we had our first screening. The the group, the cello quartet, had played at that same library in Mawa the Saturday before. And then this last Saturday night, we played at a at an organization, it's a cultural organization that we love and we're very happy to be affiliated with. It's called the the Puffin Cultural Forum. And we did essentially a CD release party, a CD release concert um, there at the Puffin Cultural Forum last Saturday night. And uh, that's for the release of the new record, which you mentioned, 88, uh, which has an official release date of the 21st of October. So from from there, we go to uh, my mountain Pittsburgh this weekend and then the beginning of November, we start uh, traveling, and I'll be out in L.A. and Palm Desert and Idlewild, California, and a big concert in San Diego for the uh, radio station in San Diego, KSDS, where we play at uh, the, the university in, in San Diego in the auditorium there, and it's a live broadcast. And from there, I go out, fly out to uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and we play at one of the great clubs in the country, the Outpost, fabulous place. Uh, and Mike Richmond comes out and joins me, and we're going to be playing cello quartet material. And from there, on the 10th of November, we go the 11th of November to Santa Fe, the 12th to Phoenix at the Nash, the 13th uh, to Denver. And then I go out to the Bay Area and play out in uh, Saratoga, do a workshop at the California Jazz Conservatory in Berkeley, and one more concert. Uh, it's a house concert at a place called Shea Haney in San Francisco, which is great. And uh, that's the last one on that trip. And then uh, we kind of go from there. <laughs> Sounds good, man. No, that's a, that's a full palette. I and what I'd like to really get into now is 88. You know, you're a guitarist, but you're paying homage to a lot of very legendary and stellar pianists throughout the annals of jazz history. So talk to me about how this album came about. It's so close to, you know, the official release. How do you feel about it? Um, how do I feel about the recording? Well, I think, I, think, I think it's a good one. I haven't had a real occasion to really sit down and give it a a big listen but uh as as we travel and then we, we we get into radio stations and they start playing this track or that track then 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 that really kind of familiarizes me with the actual cd 
Um, you know, it's funny because we recorded that CD last last April. Well, it's coming out now, and, you know, it is our new thing, but, you know, it feels like I've gone on to so many more things musically since then. It's kind of funny. It's almost it's almost a little bit in the past. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, yeah, the, it's, it's, it's a tribute to the piano. A lot of people think of guitar players and pianists as being kind of in separate worlds. And uh, I've never thought that way. And uh, when I first came up, I think the first, God, maybe four or five recordings I made, I was playing with piano on every one of them and with some of the great pianists in jazz history, with Barry Harris, with Tommy Flanagan, with Kenny Barron. And uh, it was when I did my fourth of four recordings that I did for contemporary records, they suggested that I do a trio. And I said, okay, we'll do something new. And from that point on, I've been working with trio, more with trio and without piano than anything else. And it's a, it's a combination of many things, that recording, but it's also economics. And people view the piano and guitar as being kind of redundant. And, um, uh, you know, I I don't look as at piano as being uh, a whole nother world. In fact, I look at piano and pianists as being really like um, close relatives because pianists like guitarists have a certain role uh, harmonically in a group as far as providing chords. And um, uh, also we're expected, pianists and guitarists, to be soloists as well. So, you know, there's so many great uh, compositions by so many great pianists. And the ones that we did on this recording are by no means like my favorite songs by pianists or the most important ones or anything like that. But I just wanted to pay tribute because I think it's the piano, when you step back and you take a look at it, it's an unbelievable instrument. You know, it's an amazing thing, the piano. And the people that play it, also amazing. And then to get an opportunity to step back again, take a look at the compositions, the writing that some of those great pianists have done. Um, so it was really... Uh, a pleasure, and uh, I'm really happy to have been able to, uh, you know, it's a little strange. We we have a dedication to pianists by a group that has no pianists. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. But it's been a great, it's been, it's really been a, a, a great opportunity, great bunch of material to work with. Wonderful. So let's go back to the alpha. We're going to get out of this hyper-present world that you're in right now and go back to the beginnings of your life in Elizabeth, New Jersey. How does a guy grow up? to become a veteran jazz guitarist? Well, uh, you know, I was born in Elizabeth, New Jersey. But I, I, kinda, I grew up in a, a town called Linden, New Jersey, but, you know, I was interested in music my whole life. My parents were, were, were very much uh, linked into all kinds of music, from Broadway theater to New York Philharmonic. And I had an older sister who worked at the Fillmore East, which is a big oh. rock venue. There and so I had admission to the Fillmore East for years and years and years. I I had started playing guitar when I was in high school, and uh, just 
continued playing. And, you know, it's funny because uh, some people, like, from the time they're kids, like, they dream of being a musician or a guitar player. And it was never like that with me. Um, I started playing because I had friends who were involved with music, and we started a band. Um, slightly later time, I became interested and involved with jazz. But I really didn't, I didn't think I was going to be a musician. Uh, but it's, it's kind of like this. You know, I, 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 I wake up every morning and, and I want to play. And that's the first thing that I do in the mornings. And I guess I've never, I've never stopped. You know, and it's it's like anything else. You know, you you meet a few people, and you you uh, you play with some people, and then you meet some other people, and you're you're playing with more people, and things generally just uh, uh, kind of grow. Uh, we did our first recording for a a small label in in uh, Canada, Sonora Records, and then um, uh, was. Fortunate to go with a larger label and, you know, recording opportunities came about. So, I don't know, somehow here I am and I'm already in my 60s. I can't believe it. And, uh, you know, we just we just keep going. And, and I feel like I, I feel like I just keep playing each day because I love it. And we see what comes along. Beautiful. So when you were growing up, what were what jazz albums were you listening to that really made a deep impact on you? Well, when I was growing up, when I was a little kid, uh, there was jazz all around. I had an older sister who took me. God, I must have been, I must have been like seven or eight years old. I remember the Village Vanguard. We went to the Village Vanguard and heard Miles Davis over at the Village Vanguard. Wow. And that was a real interesting experience for me at that at that young age. You know, I'd never really been in an environment like that or heard anything like that. And I think that was Miles and maybe Hank Mobley. And, uh, you know, it's hard to r- really recall, but it was a great, great band and great you know, experience. But um, I heard jazz, but I wasn't really paying attention to jazz because that was the 60s, you know, and that environment socially was for me at that time was a real rock and roll thing. And so I was I was going to like I said I was going to the Fillmore East. I was backstage a lot at the Fillmore East. I I I was always, you know, both shows every night for Jimi Hendrix, for Frank Zappa, for and and then heard everybody else, but those were my kind of major idols. But it wasn't until I was about 15 years old and I heard a Lee Morgan recording called uh, Search for the New Land. That was the first time that I heard jazz. And that recording made me want to hear more, made me want to want to hear more jazz and understand what was going on with jazz. And it was all due to the excitement of Lee Morgan's trumpet. I mean, it was so exciting and so whew, just knocked me out, you know? Absolutely. Um, and it's ironic because on that record... There's a guitar player, Grant Green, and I've even now, many years later, recorded. A, uh, I did a recording uh, of of Grant Green material uh, dedicated to Grant Green with Grant Green's original. Well, I shouldn't say original, but with with Grant Green's rhythm section that he used for many many years with uh, Jack McDuff, the organ 
organist, and uh, Al Harewood, the drummer. And uh, I heard Grant Green back then, coming from rock and roll, being young. And I, and I loved, as much as I loved Lee Morgan, I hated that guitar player. I said, man, that guy can't play. And of course, the 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 lack of understanding was 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 my you know my problem. Many years later, I came to appreciate Grant Green's playing, you know, and how how unique a musician he is. So that's kind of what got me into jazz. Right on. So the one thing that's very clear is that you're a very well educated man. You know, you um, have learned from some great people. You know, at the New College of the University of South Florida. You went to Berkeley, um, NYU. But, you know, the beginnings of all of this, Sal Salvador, what, what did you learn with Sal in the beginning, and what have you learned in a formal environment about being a musician over the years? Well, Sal Salvador, first of all, very soon after I got involved with the guitar, I wanted to get a teacher. And I was lucky to come across Sal Salvador. And Sal Salvador had played with uh, many, many people, with Maynard, uh, Maynard Ferguson's band, with Stan Kenton's orchestra. Um, there's a film called Jazz on a Summer's Day where you see Sal Salvador playing with Sonny Stitt. Um, he had played with many, many, many people, uh, Judy Garland, all, all kinds of people. And um, what he did was he gave me uh, an exposure to a very, very broad spectrum of guitar, guitar books and also books that were actually not guitar books, vibes books, saxophone books, classical violin books. He gave me a, an exposure to a, to a wide range of, of material. Um, which was a fabulous, fabulous uh, experience. Um, as far as formal musical education, I mean, I didn't really have much. You, you mentioned New College in Sarasota, Florida. They didn't have a jazz program, but what they did have after my if, uh, starting my last year there, they had a professor who was actually a, a musicologist, an ethnomusicologist. His name was Ron Riddle, and he loved jazz, and he was a piano player, and he had studied from Oscar Peterson. And I would get together with him, and boy, he would give me ear training. He'd play lines, and I would have to play them back. He'd play intervals. I would have to identify the intervals. He'd play things... And that was a very, 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 very good experience for me. But uh, we did a, as I mentioned, we did a concert just uh, this last Saturday night. And, you know, my group, we got uh, Lyle Atkinson, who's one of the great bass players in jazz history, who I heard from the time I was real young in all kinds of contexts in New York. I would go and I'd hear groups and Lyle Atkinson would be playing bass and i was afraid of lyle atkinson now you know it's a crazy thing because lyle atkinson is one of the great people in the world he's the sweetest greatest guy but lyle atkinson was a big guy and i was always afraid i spoke i would speak to the other guys in the group lyle i always stayed away from and i was saying at the concert the other day you know these are the guys that 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 we learned from you know we didn't have like i'm on this next 
trip when I go out, I'm going to be giving a workshop at the uh, California Jazz Conservancy. We didn't have stuff like that. You know, we learned from the from from the people that 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 we that we worshipped musically, and Lyle Atkinson was one of those guys. And at that concert the other night, we had another guy, Rufus Reed, showed up, the bass player. And you know, I said at the concert, I said, you know, these these are the guys that 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 were, you know, we, we used to call them our daddies. These are the guys we we learned from. We modeled ourselves after musically. We watched how they behaved on the gigs. We we got to talk to these people on occasion and picked up the way they talked, the way they looked, the way they dressed, how they handled themselves. And that was that was our formal uh musical education. It wasn't quite formal. <laughs> but uh, it was as formal as it as it got. Well, let me let me ask you this. Over the years you've gone on to play with so many people. Um Pepper Adams, Kenny Barron, you know, Tommy Flanagan, the list goes on. What have you learned from being around big shots and veterans? Is there something that's special that helps you grow as a musician into your own, finding your own voice, things along those lines? Yeah, well, you know, it's a it's a great experience to be around somebody who's who's playing you you love. One thing that 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 Pepper and um, Tommy Flanagan and another one I played with Barry Harris, they all had in common was that they were from Detroit, and whatever it was for whatever reason it is, I sort of fell into that that group. So their approach to playing was, was something that just attracted me from the beginning. Um, so having a chance to play with people like that, you know, you you absorb quite a lot. And it, it, maybe it might be difficult to even explain what you absorb, but I think one thing about those kinds of musicians is that they have a lot of respect for other people in a humanistic way, in a personal way, but also in a musical way. So these are guys that really, you know, play together. And that's a really important thing that I learned from those kinds of musicians. It's that, you know, at, at, at no time is is any musician, like, more, of more importance or less importance than than any other you know even when we're playing a solo you know in jazz jazz is not pop music so in pop music you know you have a some guy taking a solo and then you have backup musicians in the <laughs> way in the rear there you know yeah and, but but in jazz that that never happens at every moment everybody is is equal and you have to develop the ability to be able to hear everything at once and to play together as a as a group that's something that i that i definitely got from the experience of playing with 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 people like that and then of course you know you 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 continue you it's just it's it's like a delicious thing like playing with new people and and playing with with great people it's it, it's something that's very important for us you know it's it's just a great experience, you know. It's like uh, it's like a painter to uh, uh, if you only if 
you only had exposure to, you know, four or five colors, after a while, you know, you feel like you're a little limited. So sometimes even on the road, you know, we're, we're playing with, with, with local rhythm sections. and Sometimes there's people that you get along with, musically speaking, very, very well with, and, and sometimes maybe not so not so well. But even so, that exposure to those different colors, you know, is is a good experience. So I, I think the most important thing, playing with great people. In fact, I'll tell you, Mickey Roker. The first time I ever played with Mickey Roker, who I think is maybe one of the great, not just one of the great drummers, but one of the great musicians I ever played with. The first night was in Philadelphia, and I went down there, and I saw there was a guitar player there, and I played the first set with Mickey Roker, and he came up to me and he said, man, that must have been really hard, man, playing with Mickey Roker. Oh, my God, you know. And it was the easiest thing ever because if you have respect for other musicians that you're playing with um, and you understand that it's a dialogue and not like, you know, people backing you up or, or somebody being there in the background, if you're going someplace together, then you have somebody who's experienced like a Mickey Roker and he's pointing the way for you. I mean, that's how I used to feel when I when I played with Mickey. He's pointing the way for you. So if you just relax and lay back, you can go on a on a great little journey together. And that's that's what it's like to play with somebody who's experienced like that. Kenny Barron, with whom I think I think I did how many? Maybe six or seven or eight recordings. I mean, he's another one. You just relax. You can phrase. He hears where you're going. He, you lay back. He fills in. He plays something beautiful, and then you come back in. And it's it's a dialogue. It's not a uh, a situation of somebody kind of backing me up. I don't need somebody to back me up. I need somebody people to to play with and interact with. So that's that's what we get from playing with great musicians. Right on. You know, and as, as course as the, as the evolution of the modern jazz musician goes on, you eventually get into teaching. So, of all of these experiences with not only the classroom but with your own experiences with other musicians, what is your philosophy when you get in front of students? What do you want them to take away from your teachings? Well, I just mentioned the most important thing, and it seems like a simple thing, but it's really not. Which is the ability to hear every instrument at the same time. Um, you know, a lot of times we guitarists, you know, we'll, we'll put on a recording by whoever, Barney Kessel or Kenny Burrell or Grant Green or somebody, and we'll, we'll tend to zero in on that guitar player and we won't hear the rest of the group. We'll hear them in the, in the background. Um, so it's important not just when we not just when we play but also when we listen to music too all the time with music to hear everything at the same time to develop that ability because if you listen to a recording you hear Grant Green and everything else fades in the background well you might you might listen to that thing and then say well you know that he was beautiful you know he plays very rhythmically and he's got a lot of blues but after a while, that's not so interesting. You know, that's that's kind of a limited critique. So, 
So what you want to really be able to do is hear Grant and hear how he played with that group. You know, Grant was listening to everything that was going on when he recorded that record, right? So it's interesting to hear, you know, when Grant is playing with Tommy Flanagan, you know, what is that interaction? How did Grant play with Tommy Flanagan as opposed to maybe when Grant was playing with somebody like Sonny Clark? You know, and it's a totally different interaction or the interaction between Sonny Clark and Grant Green and somebody like Paul Chambers and maybe Art Blakey. You know, so so then you're not just hearing kind of the outside. The, he sounds bluesy. He sounds percussive, whatever. The sound is clear. Now you're starting to understand, like, who Grant Green really was as a musician. Why, what, what made Grant play the things he did? What, you know, what influences in the music? What influenced the choices that he made, the directions that he, that he went in? So that's the most important thing for musicians. But another thing that I, that, that I deal with extensively in workshops is the connection between the voice and the things we play. It gets into the dynamics of the voice and how do we translate those dynamics to our instruments. And the, 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 without getting too much into it, uh, I'll just say that um, if we are able to uh, get in touch with dynamics of our voice, translate that to our instruments in just the same way that, you know, every person, and this, this is really kind of magical, every person, you know, has a unique voice. That's amazing. You know, there's billions of people in the world and everybody has this unique voice. Yeah. And so that's because we, we all, we don't have so many different things we can do with our voices. We don't have so many dynamics, but everybody uses their voice and the, the dynamics of their voices in a unique and individual way. If we can translate those dynamics to our instrument, we will each develop a voice, a way of playing that is unique, unique to us. And, and you know, that's, that, for jazz, that's the ultimate. That's what, yeah. we're, that's what we are doing here. You know, we, yeah. are, we are trying to say something in our own way, say something that, 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 is, that is personal, that is, that is unique, and develop our own voices. So that's, that's why that connection between the voice and our instruments is uh, a, a really important part of, of what I teach, you know, privately and also when I, when I go and do, do workshops. And I have a workshop coming up this Friday at Duquesne University in Pittsburgh, and I'll be talking about some of those types of things. Wonderful. You know, you're a man that's dedicated your life to jazz, clearly love jazz. So let me ask you this. It's a simple question, but I want to know why do you love jazz? You know, the thing about jazz that I love um, is is the idea of, and we just touched on it in, in you know, the philosophy behind my approach to teaching, is is that you know, there's so many unique and individual voices. 
So it's about it's about self-expression and it's about communication. We have we have self-expression, we have communication with the with the people that listen to the music we make. We have communication and and interchange and interaction with the people with whom we make the music, uh, always with the with the audience and the the venue and you know I hear about I hear about uh, more and more musicians are uh, maybe getting together in a garage or in a room in a house and they are making their music available over the internet they're they're they're, they're filming and they're they're live streaming on the internet and for me that's kind of a funny thing because i i can't really do it it's very rough for me to do it without it an audience and without a, a real situation where we're playing for people. So in in that respect, you know, recording for me, I've never really enjoyed. There are people that love to be in the studio and I'm definitely not one of them. For me, the studio is uh, kind of a, a strange, kind of a dead kind of place. There's no, there's no audience there. So for me, you know, playing playing live, the interaction of the the moment, the people, the interaction between the band, all that communication, you know, that's that's what uh, that's what music is supposed to be. But I think that if you're into music, that kind of interaction, uh, jazz is the place to be. And then just the other aspect of it is if you're an improviser. Uh, if you're into improvisation, you know jazz is the uh, is the place to be, because the repertoire that we play uh, in jazz is is really it's unlimited. You know we have all the great American standards, the American Songbook. We have uh, from basically from Broadway shows, from from uh, from uh, film, theater. And then we have like a whole another encyclopedia of the great songs that jazz musicians have composed over the years. And we can we go all the way back to from Louis Armstrong all the way up to, to Train and everybody in between. And then got in the in the fifties when Stan Getz and Charlie Bird and others were were, were exploring uh, Brazilian music and, and and South American music, but at that time that was unheard of. You know, that was a really like the new thing in the United States when that was introduced. Now, of course, playing Latin music or Cuban music, whatever it's going to be, is just a normal part of what of what we do. And you know, we for, so for jazz musicians, you know, the expectation is to be able to improvise over any kind of harmonic. Material and jazz musicians are are doing that. People are people are playing. You know, there's recordings of Jimi Hendrix tunes and and things that came from the rock world. There's recordings of material that came from the world of classical music and um, all kinds of uh, combinations of things coming from the Mediterranean area and Europe and all over. I've I've done a recording of, of Japanese songs. I've done a recording of French songs. Um, so if you're an improviser, you know, jazz is definitely the uh, the place to be. 
So you spent some quality time in Japan, as you said at the top of the interview, and you know that's the land that's uh, uh, the jazz mecca out there. They love jazz. So let me ask you this: What's one of the most interesting compliments um, that you got from a fan while you were out there? <laughs> well, I'll tell you a story. I was playing in Osaka, and there was an older woman. I this place was packed. There was an older woman sitting kind of towards the back, and we finished the concert, and uh, there were a lot of people coming over, and and I was talking to a lot of people, and I saw this woman kind of off to the side, waiting, waiting, waiting. Finally, she came up to me, and she didn't speak very much English, and she said to me, she said, Mr. Breakstone, I listen many guitar players. I listen Kenny Burrell. I listen Grant Green. I listen to all jazz guitar. He said, but I came here today because I want to tell you Kenny Burrell and Grant Green and all the rest, uh, they are normal. Said, but I looked in the dictionary because I wanted to come here today and I want to tell you that you are abnormal. <laughs> I know that was a great comment. I knew what she was trying to say, but uh, it was it was very funny, and I really <laughs> appreciated her her uh, coming out to tell me that she that she liked me like that. So, yeah, that's beautiful. That's a yeah. great story. That's a great story. So let me ask you this: Everyone has a version of who you are. Your family, your friends, this woman that you played for in Japan, all the others that you played for, but. When you wake up and face the world, who do you think you are? Hmm. Well, that's a difficult question. I, you know, I just, I'm just like I mentioned before. You know, I, I just, I get up and uh, I, I love to play. So, you know, I'm involved with the guitar for most of the morning, and I try and keep my mornings free for doing that. Um. And then you know there there's certain aspects of of uh of playing jazz for a living that you know i mean i've got to i've gotta answer emails you know it's it, it it is a a business if you call this a business it is it is a business to some extent i've got i've got emails i've got stuff i've gotta provide for for places where we're playing and uh, phone calls to return and all of that it takes up a lot of time and then getting to where we're playing and arranging for where we're playing all this. So, you know, I don't I don't know. You know, I I I'm I'm married. My wife is a is an artist, is a painter. So I'm involved with my wife. We got a cat over here in the in the apartment. Uh we we see our friends uh as much as possible. Uh family, uh the whole thing. So, you know, I don't know. You know, it's it, it's hard to. Yeah, you know, I'm 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 a musician. I'm I'm involved with the guitar. I don't necessarily think of myself as that, but I guess I am. You know, so uh, I guess I'm kind of defined by whatever I'm doing at the moment. I, you know, and I do things outside of jazz as well. I've been involved with this uh, community organization that we put together. We were fighting a high-rise that was proposed to be built right here, fairly close to where I'm sitting right now. And uh, 
we put together a coalition of almost 800 people and we defeated it and we've been we've been working with other communities around as much as possible time-wise to try and help them with like similar problems when when business is encroaching on quality of life there's a lot of things you know i i I love to read. I'm reading all kinds of stuff all the time, as much as as much as I can. I'm working on my Japanese, studying right. Japanese, and uh, you know, a lot of different parts to my life. I think that's a beautiful way to wrap everything up. Hey, thank you for the music. Thank you for your time and your stories. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you for everything you're doing on behalf of uh, great music. Really appreciate it over here, too. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Joshua for his time and his music. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store, or visit neonjazz at youtube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.